This is Earth Files, the award-winning news site with the latest updates in science, environment, and real X-Files. Podcasting in-depth reports beyond the 6 o'clock news by Emmy Award-winning journalist Linda Moulton Howe. Hi, everyone here in the United States and around the world. I have chocolate with me tonight, and doesn't he look a little bit like uh, he's growing like a badger? (laughs) His hair is so long and beautiful. It's wonderful, and I know that eventually that all has to be cut off for them to stay healthy, but I am glad that he is here, and I hope that there's so many of you who send me photographs of your cats watching me on the Earth Files YouTube channel. And some people say that you have cats that actually only run to the TV when they hear my voice. And I'm so happy to resonate with the cats because I love them so much. But I have some, I think, both serious education and news to share with you tonight. So. I'm going to start with telling you and sharing with you, I hope all of you are doing this. I'm praying so hard that 2023 will have more peace and truth and joy than the past three difficult COVID years, and that we do have something to celebrate tonight. This Earth Files YouTube channel has broken through 227,000 subscribers. So thanks to all of you here and around the world. And a couple of weeks ago on December 23rd, 2022, President Joe Biden finally signed the $858 billion fiscal year 2023 National Defense Authorization Act. And it does have some protection for UFO UAP whistleblowers. The next morning on Christmas Eve, former retired DOD Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence, Christopher K. Mellon tweeted, quote, the lack of news coverage compels me to point out that President Biden has just signed into law far-reaching legislation that could solve the UAP mystery, close quote. Here is the blue URL for Mr. Mellon's valuable article about what he calls unprecedented UAP legislation. And Mr. Mellon points out that the UAP UFO legislation passed is, quote, unbeknownst to most Americans, close quote, with very little mainstream news coverage, even though this unprecedented UAP legislation, quote, provides a secure process for anyone who has signed an official U.S. government secrecy agreement related to UAP to come forward and reveal that information to the new Pentagon Aero Office concerning anomalous objects and can reveal to Congress, regardless of the level of classification, without fear of retribution or prosecution. This provision is intended to determine the veracity of longstanding allegations indicating that the U.S. government has recovered extraterrestrial technology and perhaps even extraterrestrial beings, close quote, Christopher Mellon. 
The new Pentagon Arrow is an acronym for All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, AARO. The new UAP legislation mandates a review of all intelligence documents involving UAP UFOs from 1945 to the present. Mr. Mellon estimates that review could take the next 18 months, but he adds, quote, that process alone could validate claims the U.S. government has been concealing proof of an extraterrestrial presence near Earth. Moreover, in some cases, the ET hypothesis seems the best or only viable explanation, close quote. And at my Earth Files website, one highly strange phenomena linked to questions about UFO UAPs interacting with Earth has persisted for the past 12 years, since New Year's January 2011. And that's when this headline was emailed to me, quote, boom was heard across the southeast part of Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And USGS said it was not an earthquake, close quote. Well, that was the beginning of many unexplained loud booms and loud metallic noises in the sky that have been reported around the world since 2011 without explanation. And more mystery booms occurred this most recent Christmas night of 2022 in McMinnville, Oregon, 55 miles southwest of Portland. KPIC-TV received and broadcast two security camera recordings of loud, unexplained booms. And this first one occurs at 1646 on the time stamp. No explanation by authorities. Here's another Christmas night McMinnville security camera that is a recording caught that caught two more loud booms, including one at that same 1646 timestamp as the first recording. Another haunting mystery around the world that has persisted from at least the 1960s are strange animal mutilations, usually without blood or tracks around the bodies of and the range of animals is quite large. Cattle, horses, sheep, goats, pigs, rabbits, foxes, kangaroos, deer, elk, and reindeer. There may be others, but I've just given you the ones that have been the most reported. It has been my goal for the past half century to understand the link between those mutilations and the UFO, UAP phenomena that law enforcement, military, aerospace whistleblowers say does link to one or more non-human intelligences interacting with Earth. And it all began for me when I was director of special projects at the CBS station in Denver, Colorado. And that work evolved to my hour documentary, A Strange Harvest, that was first broadcast on May 25, 1980, 43-some years ago. And from then onward to this day, I have gathered many photographs and videos and recordings of clean, bloodlessly mutilated animals like this one, 
I have many photographs in my books and documentaries, like this mutilated steer found in Caldwell, Kansas on January 31st, 1992. It is the precision of the excisions without blood and sometimes the removal of internal organs without surgical incisions in the animal's body and lack of tracks on the ground around the dead bodies that provoked Sheriff Tex Graves in Logan County, Colorado to tell me in September of 1979 when I was producing A Strange Harvest, quote, the perpetrators of these bloodless, trackless mutilations are creatures from outer space, close quote. And these 90-degree angles at the jaw joint, extending in straight lines along the jaw and cheek to the front teeth, are a common hide excision pattern in animal mutilations, with no blood anywhere. But two years ago, something changed in central Kansas, 136 miles north of that 1992 bloodless Caldwell, Kansas mutilation. Saline County farmer Mike Jensen, six miles southwest of Gypsum, was shocked to find one of his black cows dead on November 21, 2021, with a very precise 90-degree rectangular cut from jaw joint to front teeth. It's that same rectangular excision in the 1992 Caldwell, Kansas steer that was so bloodless and dry, typical of the mutilations over the past decades since at least the 1960s. The Mike Jensen cow had cheek and jaw bones that were stripped of all flesh to shiny white, but those clean bones were covered with a thin layer of watery blood that did not coagulate. Mike was baffled and wondered what was keeping the blood from coagulating as it should after death. Mike Jensen would learn that in addition to his November 21st, 2021 mutilated cow in Saline County, Kansas, there were four more similar mutilations over the past two years between January 23rd, 2021 and December 8th, 2022. Those five mutilations over the past two years began with a cow mutilation in Lincoln County on January 23, 2021. This Lincoln County cow's entire udder was excised in a very large circular cut that did not bleed. A game warden investigated and said, quote, that's no predator, close quote. Then, about four months later, on May 7, 2021, a bull was found dead with its penis and testicles excised in a precise cut without blood, east of Carleton in Dickinson County, Kansas. Then, six months later, on November 21, 2021, Mike Jensen's black cow in Gypsum, Saline County, was found with its left cheek and jaw hide excised in a precise rectangular excision. Six months after that, in Saline County in June 2022, there was another mutilated cow on the Beverly Fullen Farm, six miles southwest of Gypsum, very near Mike Jensen's November cow mutilation. This June 2022 cow was also found with a 90-degree rectangular excision of jawhide similar to Mike Jensen's cow. 
And then Mike Jensen called me again last month about yet another cow mutilation on a farm run by his cousins, Brent and Mark Loss, at Loss Farms, Inc., in Brookville, Saline County, Kansas. It was another rectangular excision of the cow's left cheek and lower jaw. Watery red blood looked like it was painted on the surface of those clean bones. Their Lost Farms, Inc. is in Saline County, not far from Mike Jensen's Gypsum Farm and the Atlas Missile Site 4. About 60 miles to the northeast is Fort Riley that has been considered as a possible support base in the United States Space Force efforts. And if you keep going northwest from Fort Riley into Ottawa County, Kansas, you come to the historic site of one of the most credible UFO landing reports of all time that took place in Delphos, Kansas on November 2, 1971. Near 7 p.m. that night, teenager Ronald Johnson was tending some sheep with his dog when he heard a rumbling sound about 75 feet away in some trees. He told his parents that he saw an object that became suddenly lighted up with a mass of blue, red, and orange colors, which covered its entire roundish structure. Ronald estimated the UFO was 9 feet in diameter, 10 feet high, and domed at the top, bulging in the middle with a flat bottom. It hovered two feet above the ground, with the light flowing downward onto the soil. The light was so strong, it hurt his eyes, and when he finally got his parents to the site, they could all see a glowing eight-foot diameter grayish-white ring that was emitting light in the ground at the UFO landing site in Delphos, Kansas, on November 2, 1971. The eyewitness was teenager Ronald Johnson, who got his parents out of the house to see the glowing craft, and this photograph was taken by Darrell Johnson, Ronald Johnson's father, 10 minutes after the encounter. Brent Loss of Loss Farms, Inc. in Brookville, a town in Saline County, Kansas, discovered the most recent December 8, 2022, mutilated black cow. It has the same rectangular jaw excision with a coating of watery red blood like Mike Jensen's in November 2021 and like Beverly Fullen's June 2022 mutilated cow. I talked with Brent about how he found the mutilated black cow on December 8, 2022, only a month ago. What time do you think you saw her alive? It would have been in the afternoon. So on the 7th of December, in the afternoon, you did see this cow alive. Correct. On December 8th, about 10.30 a.m. in the morning, me and my youngest daughter, she usually goes with me, grab the hay bales to feed the cows a quarter mile to the east of the house where we found this cow laying there. She had a pattern cut out of her face. We noticed that it was unusual and contacted my brother, sent him some pictures. He had a local biologist come look at it, and he really had no explanation for the hide taken off. No hide on the ground, no hair. When you say pattern, explain what the pattern of excisions in the head were. 
Prominent nose and jawline of clean cut. The shape of a rectangle and leaving the bone exposed, even though your photos show watery blood on the jaw. Where is the cartilage, the muscle on this bone? Veterinarians have told me to get the bones as clean as these animal mutilations are. The bones would have to be boiled. Right. They were stripped very clean. The blood, I don't know why it wasn't clotted up. It is watery. This is not normal under any circumstances. No. And your photos show that in this particular case, on this seven-year-old cow, her black body looks completely untouched, except for this rectangle from the jaw and the nose going back almost to the ear. Were both of her eyeballs intact? They were both intact and fairly fresh looking too. Over these four decades that I've been trying to get to the bottom of the link between UFOs and animal mutilations, I have seen this cut in one side or the other of mutilated cattle. It's not really explainable and yours and Mike Jensen's same rectangular pattern, but with this liquid blood. Right. What is it that is decoagulating the blood here in Kansas with you guys, as if poured delicately onto clean bones? Another odd thing was the tongue being gone. Them cows have a pretty long tongue. It was gone as far back in there as I could see is that kind of normal with what you've been seeing, too? Yeah, the tongue is removed deep in the throat, usually down near the larynx, as yours was. You'd think you'd have to make an incision in her throat to get that out. You would think that there would be so much blood everywhere. Right. That's unexplainable to me. I want to show you a photograph that was sent to me this morning of January 4th. 2023 by Mike Jensen. It is from a neighbor's farm in Saline County, Kansas. Mike confirmed with the farmer that the cow that had been sick and died in the past two days was natural and that what you're seeing here is the predation on this dead cow that he found just a few hours this morning. And Mike sent it to me as an example of predators chewing on the front of the dead cow's mouth, probably by coyotes. Now, we'll go back then and compare that to that rectangular excision on Mike Jensen's November 21st, 2021 cow that is on the right, and now the one that died, and they sent the photos this morning. They knew it was sick, and that is what predators did on the left. And let's compare it to the death of the uh, Caldwell, Kansas mutilation in 1992. And when you compare those two, for me, it sort of collapses the last 43 years of why following up on the genuine bloodless, trackless mutilations that have these precise 
rectangular excisions that you're seeing on the right versus what coyotes or predation would do on the left, and knowing in veterinarian reports that necropsies have been done even in the field, and like in an animal on the right, the codlow. And when veterinarians have opened up an animal, as soon as they have gotten inside and they start examining, looking for organs and cause of death, they have found missing hearts or missing livers, missing organs, and there is no excision on the outside of the body. That is my definition of worldwide animal mutilation since at least the 1960s. And I think that seeing these two side by side is a good example of one, there is a natural world that we live in, and then there is another world in which, as far as I'm concerned, there are interactions with other beings for reasons that we need to understand, and that's what I've been trying to report about since 1979. And now we are back today at the beginning of 2023, and once there have been, like there's been a cluster of mutilations in central Kansas, and as I ask in our promotion question, who or what is killing and mutilating cattle in Kansas? Why Kansas? And why has Kansas been the focus for two years? When I was in Colorado, there were, it was very clear that there were areas in Colorado that had repeated, like cycles, cycles and cycles in one geographic area over and over again. And even though I don't have the hard evidentiary proof I would like to have, I've always begun to think, because of discovering these kinds of cycles, that perhaps our planet has a grid to other intelligences and that there are monitorings of certain things that are needed, perhaps both for some kind of uh, food value or genetic manipulation value, harvesting for sustenance, harvesting for materials for genetic manipulation. Those are the two categories that over these decades I have come to think of when I think of animal mutilations. And as we move into 2023, Mike Jensen, and his uh, farmers in Kansas, central Kansas, they may or may not have more cases. If so, I will keep reporting. But the one thing I wanted to say as I've had discussions with Brent and Mark and Mike, in all of the decades that I have been trying to understand the relationship between other intelligences interacting with our planet and that animal mutilations and all of the wild game as well as domestic are part of something that goes on. I do not know of a single case where a rancher, his family, or anyone was hurt. And I say that honestly because I've been asked that question. I do not. Whatever it is that is the reason for the ongoing animal mutilations that at least in the 20th to the 21st centuries, we became aware of in the 1960s, uh, my own sense would be that it's been going on for millennia. 
And that's where sustenance might come in and other reasons that we don't know. But the, whatever the big picture is, the relationship might be one that eventually, if we could open up the truth that we're not alone in this universe, and that there are intelligences that harvest from a variety of planets, including the Earth, it might be possible to have some kind of an agreement between one or more other intelligences with ranchers and farmers on Earth, that there could be a trade, there could be a value exchanged. And I talked about that with Mike Jensen and uh, Brent and Mark. And after you get over the kind of shock of thinking about trade with another extraterrestrial civilization, it begins to sink in as something that will be inevitable as we move forward into a new space age with the space force working with advanced beings and we on Earth beginning to move into a whole new state of news and education about the universe that we are in. So on that, I hope, positive note that I would like to turn it over to my dear friend, Ian Holling in the UK, where at one point I was worried because it was so cold and icy. And today, Ian, you said the temperature has even gone up to maybe a little bit warm. It's quite warm here, Linda. Yeah. Uh, it's gone unusually mild for the time of year, as they would say here. So and it's a jump cut from ice to warmth. <laughs> temperatures for this time of year in Wales in the UK. Yeah. Um, well, I'd be very interested in what everybody's questions and comments are tonight. I know this is a subject that <clears throat> a lot of people don't want to touch, but I feel that we, we need to at least open it up. And I hope I have done it in a sensitive way. That has been my goal. Uh, and to share some information about a facet that has been associated with the presence of other intelligences on this planet, not just for this century or the last century, but I think for millennia. And I'm curious what comments and questions our uh, viewers would have. And again, thank you for breaking through 227. We're on our way to 275 and we're going to have a huge party. I'm telling you, we'll do it internationally somehow. Okay, Ian, what have you got? Well, we've got some uh, questions and comments from our viewers here. Uh, first of all, James Terrell says, uh, have any of these animals been looked at with a UV light to see if they've been dusted or marked with reflective powder? There was a case in May of 1980, and I remember it because A Strange Harvest, my first documentary, uh, was it aired um, on May 25th, 1980. And it was two weeks after that, or maybe it was right at the end of May. I think of it that I made this trip probably right at the last day of May or something. And it was a farmer in Colorado Springs who had called up a newspaper and said, I don't know what's happening, but I have a horse and it looks like it should get up, but it's lying dead and it's been there for three weeks and it hasn't decomposed 
and it has strange excisions and I need somebody to help me know what to do with this horse. And uh, the media person called me as director of special projects at the CBS station who had just had a strange harvest broadcast. It was the largest audience uh, then in Arbitron and Nielsen to anything that the station had ever produced. And so a lot of people saw a strange harvest and I got the phone call and I went down to see what, the, what this farmer meant. And when he said, it's been here for 21 days, and I'm looking at an animal that looks like it should be breathing, it should get up, it's exactly what he had told the media people in Colorado Springs. And then he took me and he said, I want you to see something. He said, it's, it's, it's almost eerie. And he had me look at the uh, testicles, penis on the horse. Everything looked absolutely fresh. There was no odor. And there were, how to put this, if you took a rectangle and you made it approximately a quarter of an inch wide and maybe an inch to an inch and a half long, very thin, narrow rectangle. The longest rectangle was on the penis, and all that had been removed was only the surface, the very, very surface, thin skin in a rectangle. Then you went over an inch or two where there would be a natural skin going down to the scrotum. And on that skin and across the testicles, each a different size, each getting smaller, I believe there were five, are these very thin surface rectangles, each one getting smaller. And what the owner said, look at it as like a whole piece. He said it's like somebody is doing something with math, but it's across the penis and the testicles. That was just for openers. He had gotten black lights of various frequencies, and he had gone out in the night, and I stayed because uh, I wanted to see this for myself. And he said, when it gets dark, we'll, I'll have different frequencies, and he brought them out. And right here on the, you know how a horse would be out like this in the eyes, right between the eyes, was a two, I believe I remember that I measured it. It was something like two by four, another rectangle. And it was right between the eyes. And when the, the, he turned on the black lights, it glowed. It, it absolutely was the brightest thing that we could see in the dark because we didn't have on any other lights. And he said that rectangle had been glowing between those two uh, horses' eyes for the whole 21 days. I asked the rancher, I said, would you give me permission? You can do it yourself. While we're holding the light, I would like to cut out this rectangle because I know of a woman who works in a college in Colorado and she is trying to apply the ability that she thinks she's psychic, that she can hold objects and tell archaeologists and anthropologists how they were used that she sees movies and films and 
I would like to get this. I, I'm, I'm willing to drive down. It was Adams County in Colorado. I said, I'm willing to drive this down to her uh, to see what she might see holding it because I had already talked with professors at that college on another issue and knew that she was reliable in many ways to holding things and seeing pictures and reporting. And he gave his permission and he got a hunting knife and he cut very carefully, cut out that hide that was between the eyes and we put it in ice and I drove it down to the college. And the first thing that that woman working in the college with the archeology span department that she said to me, what was the fire? And I said, well, what do you mean fire? She said, I'm seeing, maybe it's all white, but it seems like fire, bright light. There was a bright light and she just kept going and she said, uh, this is strange. She said, Linda, I, I don't know what kind of territory I'm in here. I'm seeing all this bright light. And she said, and there are two small beings that are coming up to this horse. And she said, they're not human. That is the one story that I can tell you with vivid memory that went from a horse that didn't seem to have any decomposition, nothing, for 21 days, and I've told you what happened when I got there, and that a woman who had a, a gift that archeologists were using on pottery shards, as she said, it was like a craft with a lot of light and these two beings, and they are the ones that interacted with this horse and they are the ones that took skin samplings. As I recall, we had a discussion about that as well, and that the skin samplings were for a genetic research project that the beings were doing. Now, I understand it isn't hard evidentiary, but when you put all of the pieces everything I've been exposed to for the last 43 years. There's not a single doubt in my mind that other intelligences from some other place are interacting with our planet now, have been interacting in Kansas and other sites, and that it's not something to be afraid of. It is something to try to understand, learn more about, because in learning more about, I personally think it makes us stronger and it makes us more able to have an introduction to other intelligences that governments and power brokers worry that they will lose control of humanity, they will lose control of what they have. And somehow, if everybody said, we want to know, we want to know the truth, and we're not going to panic, and please educate us, that's the world I wish we could become. Okay, Ian, what else? Okay, um, I've got a comment here from San Domingo says, I live near the mutilations and there have been lots of UFO reports lately and lots of unusual military aircraft. I've asked San Domingo whereabouts that is exactly and uh, perhaps 
Um, perhaps they can contact us directly at earthfiles at earthfiles.com and give us more information. Yes, could you do that now if you're listening? Uh, because getting the geographic, even latitude, longitude, ge- geographic city, uh, where, the, where the mutilations are that you're re- referencing are, I would sure like to know. And uh, I think it's worth noting as well, Linda, how long the cattle mutilations have been documented for. Uh, but it's not just in cattle either, that the cattle mutilations seem to have started at a certain point, but we, uh, well, at least that we know of, but the mutilations of other animals, including sheep, etc., have been going, and horses have been going on for years, even before that. Well, let me read again the beginning of my uh, segment this evening when I did the intro and I had gone through files so that I would be giving the uh, animals, and I did that long list because they are all from cases that I have uh, that include finding Sheriff Tex Graves. Just a second. There's a lot of animals on the earth that are affected by this, and it includes. I mean, I can go through without having to find it in my script. It includes cattle and horses and pigs and goats and sheep and rabbits and marmots and reindeer and elk and deer, kangaroos in Australia. It's a huge number. And that's why, as I said earlier at the beginning of the show, I think that It's the number of species that have been worldwide and I think have gone on not just in the 20th and the 21st century, but probably for millennia, probably for thousands of years. And that it then focuses why, why would other intelligences be doing this for such a long haul? So then you come down to the two most likely possibilities, and that is sustenance, which is food, and genetic harvesting. So, Ian, there's at least a dozen or more animals that have been over and over again in records. Yeah, and I myself have found a mutilated uh, badger and fox when I was actually investigating a mutilated horse case uh, for Earth Files. Kathy, Iwanowski has a question. She says, has toxicology ever been done on any of these cadavers? If so, have anticoagulants ever been found? This is a segment that I want to do next week as an update here that uh, I worked with the uh, Lost Farms Inc. group and we have a final. It's a necropsy And exactly, we wanted to know if they could find anything that related to why the blood would not coagulate, like water. This was the one of the first things that was disturbing to all of them is why is this watery blood almost like painted on these clean, clean bones? So that's one of the questions. And the other one is cause of death. I can tell you now that one of their findings is over a period of time in two reports, cause of death unknown. 
but I'm working on going through what were analyses where they were specifically searching for something that might explain why the hemoglobin would be so watery. And that's what I want to spend a little bit more uh, time this week, seeing if I can get any more insights. And then I will give you uh, an update about some of the aspects of this necropsy and uh, the lab work that was done in Kansas at the Kansas Veterinarian Diagnostic Laboratory. It's a very good one. And that that cause of death, unknown, I have seen that probably, I don't know how many times. Cause of death, unknown. So remember that the animal mutilations become strange in the lack of ability to confirm unless you do a necropsy and find that there are organs missing inside of a body that has no excisions on the outside, then you know that you're in the highest strangeness and what was the instrument that could take a huge heart out of a cow without any excision in the body. And I've talked about that before. And that is where they talk about molecular extraction technology that we may have on this planet in two or three more decades. And it, it involves frequency. It's frequency specific. So you're not cutting. You're not cutting through muscle and cartilage and all of that that is so hard to recover from. It's frequency that goes to a very specific organ and extracts what is there. If we are dealing with extraterrestrial biological entities who are extremely advanced, some numbers that are thrown around are maybe a thousand years in advance of us, some of them, then they may have molecular extraction and it's nothing, it's and they have what they want. And the, I remember the woman uh, in, down in uh, the college in Colorado uh, had the impression that this was done quickly. And to be done quickly means it has to be a technology that would be able to handle large animals easily. And then you get to the beam technology, another advanced technology, where there have been many witnesses to animals, not just in the United States, but in other parts of the world, where animals rise in a beam of light, neutralizing gravity, whatever you want to call it, something is done and then the animals can be seen lowered in a beam of light or in some places like in sand springs in oregon it's in my glimpses of other realities volume two book uh, there was a uh, cowboy he was in a rented trailer working for the ranch owner and it's late at night and he's uh, in the trailer bed and he starts hearing loud sounds of branches breaking. He runs, opens up the door. He, is, he just does not have a clue what is coming. And to his, as he said, I was horrified. It was, I believe he said it was a, a, about a dozen bodies of animals, cattle, that were dropping from what he could see in the sky was round and glowing. And the bodies were dropping through the trees, hitting the branches, cracking and falling on the ground. And when I talked with him about this, I said, did you take photos? And he said, 
I didn't have a camera and it was too scary. And I told the rancher I wasn't staying there anymore and he left. But at least I had the story and, and I think that he was telling absolutely the truth. Well, why, why would something that could beam anything up and beam it back down, why suddenly would they drop? And the evidence of dropped bodies in the mutilation phenomena has always been there because of the craters, the broken bones upon necropsies, animals have broken bones and they're in shallow. And, and as I have also said, I worked with a physicist doing uh, a uh, what's called soil compression tests. And this was up in Montana on a series of mutilations there, one of which was next to what looked like a crater and the sheriff asked, and the physicist found, or at least that was his determination, that the animal, 1,700 pounds, I believe is what it weighed, had been dropped from 200 feet in the air, hit the ground, created the first crater, and ended up where it landed. So there is science that can be applied, that, and when you do, you find that the conclusions are always pointing to technologies that are not known to Homo sapiens sapien in the general public on Earth. Another reason for why ranchers, law enforcement, long, long ago in the 60s said the perpetrators of animal mutilations are creatures from outer space. And today, instead of saying creatures from outer space, we say extraterrestrial biological entities that can be humanoid or other. Okay, Ian. Okay, I just want to go to the um, super chats this evening. Thank you to all of our viewers who've been very generous. Here we go. Moonbird. Hi. <laughs> Sorry, Linda, I cut you off. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry, I should. But I'm just glad he's back and okay because he was sick. Moonbird's back in action. Yeah. Uh, Tate, Terry D. Yin Yang Glow, Rat Generation X, Vilma Ubinas, Zip784, Judy Graham, Kathy Iwanowski, and Faye Patterson. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And Happy New Year, you guys. Let's hope that it will be a year to be more positive and celebrate versus where we've been the, the last three years. So let's hope, think positive. If our minds can interact with the universe as uh, our various uh, brilliant people like Roger Penrose say, let's try concentrating really hard. Everybody who comes to Earth Files YouTube channel, concentrate on peace and truth and positive frequencies. Go ahead, Ian. Yeah, Linda, um, here's a, a question. We've got some questions where people are saying, have any of these, uh, the, where the cattle have been lifted up in lights, uh, have any of this been captured on camera, on video, or on, uh, on film at all? Not to my knowledge. If it has, no one has ever reported it. And most, uh, when you think back, the cases where I was interviewing ranchers telling me that they had seen a cow go up in a beam or so was 79 to 80. Those were the first times that, and we, don't ha we didn't have any cell phones. People forget this. There was nothing like cell phone technology until the second half in the 1990s. And that was because of Steve Jobs, right? So 
from the 90s back to the 60s, that's 30 years with nothing that would be easily accessible. Uh, and the, uh, the question of taking photos, and this has come up several times in conferences. People have talked about how I went to take a photo of, and it wouldn't, my camera froze, I, I couldn't click it if it was that kind of a camera, as if in some cases the phenomena itself will block efforts by humans to photograph. I, I know that that has happened. And then there are other uh, cases where to catch something with a camera where you can focus uh, and something like a beam of light that's two o'clock in the morning in any given time zone, there aren't going to be many people out doing that. So you can start looking at the history going all the way back into the early 60s up to now, and we didn't have cell phones until basically the last half of the 1990s. And today they're everywhere. But even people with cell phones have, uh, have had a couple of reports, not a lot, but a couple, where people have said, I tried to get my cell phone to take photos and it wouldn't work. And that may very well relate to some kind of blocking frequency that is used. I don't know, but um, keep trying, <laughs> keep trying. And if anybody can get recording a video of an animal rising, literally not some Walt Disney animation like the real thing, please contact me. I would like to see and report it. <laughs> Go ahead, Ian. On that subject, I think that you've actually got a report that goes back to the, the 90s in the Earthfiles archive on the Earthfiles channel where there is actually a video of a horse that is filmed uh, and it's almost like it's frozen. And that brings me back to another question that Sean Yarbrough has. She says the cows are probably terrified when they are beamed up. Are they actually alive and moving and conscious when they are beamed up? It's a good question. I have no idea. I don't know of any human who has ever been with any of the animal, bovine or other, uh, when they're in the beam. But I have, uh, going back as uh, Ian just referenced, earthfiles.com, my news website. It's a huge, gigantic, valuable archive. And I have a fascinating story in there about two men who were, uh, I think they were hunting, and they were in sleeping bags and they reported how they uh, become conscious and they're coming up in a beam. I think it was one beam. And, and they become conscious in the beam going into a craft. And when they get into the craft, there were beings who wanted to show them what they had done with a cow. The cow is on some kind of technology. There are tubes they see and they're getting telepathy that blood from the cow is going through these tubes that are, this is like a lab. And the two men are, I don't know whether you would say they're made to watch, directed to watch, controlled to watch what was happening with the um, animal mutilation and that the ones in control were reptilian. But instead of looking like alligators, they both sketched, and it's in earthfiles.com, 
uh, they look like lizards, standing up lizards, that thin, pebbly skin, as opposed to uh, the large scales of a large reptilian. And the value of at least getting these reports, getting illustrations, you, you start getting this pontalisma of a lot of dots, not any one experience proves, but all of them together becomes, I think, evidentiary that something interacts, very advanced technology. Would they ever take an, a human in a beam with an animal, related back to the question, I don't know why, and that may be the reason why I've never heard of it, or it may be that it is a limitation on the technology, I don't know. But there have been humans, and the Judy Doherty case in my uh, book, An Alien Harvest, it is one of the more outstanding cases of detail, meeting her, meeting her family, uh, being an, for, able to talk for hours with her, and she and her daughter were taken up in a beam of light. They both described it, knew that they were in the beam of light. It was yellowish. And when they are inside of the craft, it is a gray, and the illustrations are in my book, An Alien Harvest. And the uh, daughter is taken someplace, and Judy is left there to telepathically ask questions to this gray being. And essentially, she asks very good questions. But as so many humans report, whatever answers that you get telepathically often with these gray beings, they are not clear what the meanings are to the human that is trying to ask. And that may or may not be on purpose to keep the human basically just mollified but not giving them any information or that there is some something that has to be done in terms of education to telepathically communicate it's very fast with let's say the grays the tall whites i understand are very telepathic the nordics are telepathic and humans are verbal and there may be some kind of a once upon a time uh, maybe we were more telepathic, but probably what will happen is if we survive ourselves on the earth and we don't nuke everything into oblivion, that we will finally reach that moment where we are formally, I hope, introduced to one or more other civilizations. And eventually there will be people who will look back and say, how strange that they kept humanity for hundreds, thousands of years from knowing the truth about who is in the universe and what they do. So <laughs> a lot of questions. I wish I had definitive, provable answers for, but at least I can share with you a lot of summarization from a tremendous amount of travel and interviews and working with people on animal mutilations, human abductions and other. So I hope uh, that you will continue your questions and that we will start getting more answers. Now, let's see, I'm at the 
bottom of the half hour, but I, we went a little along getting uh, operating with a new, we've got a whole new computer system. It's been going on for uh, over a week and it's really, <laughs> it's really been difficult, but we are up and running and that's why we were a little late. So uh, Ian, I'll throw it to you for one more question. Yeah, we have one last question. Just before we do, let's remind everyone to uh, to hit the likes and also to share us as well and uh, remind everyone about our podcast. Thank you, Ian, very much. Yes. Go and ahead. Becca B says, the question is, how are militaries and governments reacting to cattle mutilation? Like everything else that they have done since World War II. Reality is classified. Part of our reality on Earth are the mutilations of a lot of different species of animals by extraterrestrial biological entities. That is a fact. From my point of view, it's a fact. But we're living with reality classified. Now, will this new, uh, the National Defense Authorization Act with the section that I hope and urge a lot of you to do a search on Christopher Mellon's uh, paper and that, and that URL that's blue in this show. Go, you can rewind and go back and go to that URL and read uh, that's uh, half a dozen pages. It's very good. It's extremely valuable about this moment where, at least in this legislation, as I understand, if you just said, what, what is the big thing that has changed? It would be that people working, let's say, in the Pentagon or on a naval ship or in the Air Force or something, uh, let's say that they have a, an abduction in their room, being, and, and I've interviewed people who were in military barracks and a gray has come through the wall and they are absolutely, they're more afraid of what they would report to their superior officers than from the gray that came through the wall into their barracks. And that the, the goal is to start making it less traumatic for people who are working and have interactions with UFOs and ETs to be able to tell their more superior authority or who they work for without worrying about having some kind of punishment, retribution, whatever it is. That's what we have been living in since World War II. Punishment, clear punishment, firing, com completely losing everything if you talk about UFOs and ETs. And as Christopher Mellon and Lou Elizondo were pointing out months ago, that if this new legislation in the new Defense Authorization Act that was hand signed by Biden on December 23rd, if it can go forward and a slow getting used to changing reality, the more and more people living, living in Washington and working in the Pentagon, for example, and CIA, and maybe there will be actual frank discussions. And those frank discussions may have more factual evidentiary material that will build a case for everybody beginning to understand that 
when we classified reality, we now have to go through a huge phase of unclassifying so that the whole world can be told the truth. And I think that part of the reason for classifying reality has been the concern of hostiles. And it is my understanding that the reports that I have done at the Earth Files YouTube channel in the last few months about the Tronaloids, the briefing that was given to Ronald Reagan back in 1981 at Camp David, other people that I have talked to who they have other knowledge about the Tronaloids, and everybody seems to have the same point of view that this civilization, if you want to call it that, uh, at Epsilon Eridani, 10 and a half light years from Earth, very close, is considered a serious threat. My reply every time is, if there is a serious threat, then the only honest, decent, ethical thing to do is to tell the whole world at the same time. And then you follow it up with what is being done by people who are collaborating with us, such as the Tall Whites and the Nordics, they have the ability, because they're so advanced, to counter the insects. If that is all true, what is the difference, fundamentally, about what was announced in World War II in stages, going from Hitler into 1941, Japan attack in December, the unfolding of pieces of that terrible World War II. Everybody on Earth, all humans, they were aware, they were involved, they were killed in a war that they didn't start. The more knowledge I think that we have about everything, the stronger we are. So that's, that's where I like to feel that we could start. And I hope, as we go through January, February, March, that April, April will bring at least the headline with the Webb telescope. We have confirmed biological chemistry on a watery planet. Maybe it's the fourth planet in the Trappist solar system. Read as much as you can about the Trappist one solar system. It's fascinating. And, and on Earth Files YouTube, we've done really fascinating stories about it. And there are Kepler uh, bodies that have just recently been uh, reported about that appear to, maybe they're going to confirm. Um, they haven't done it exactly, but they think they could be watery. And the watery planets would be sort of like a baseline relationship to Earth. And then how much might be rocky among the water and all of the things that they're looking for that we recognize that this planet, why it's habitable and is like a laboratory, a genetic um, supplier of so many life forms on this beautiful Earth. Are there other Earths out in this universe of three 
trillion galaxies? I bet you there's a bunch that are like this and like other habitable planets. And on that note, I'd like to say thanks for everybody here tonight and come back next week and keep coming back and maybe we will all be together when we can all cheer together. Finally, we're not alone in this universe. And after that, how much more can we learn? I love you guys. listening to this Earth Files podcast from the edges of science, environment, and real X-Files. Go to www.earthfiles.com to see more than a thousand Earth Files reports with photographs, drawings, and documents. And visit Earth Files every day, every week, for new reports and new podcasts. That's www.earthfiles.com. 